0: We need to get together and let our voices be heard
1: this is buffalo what's next
2: i'm angeli preston today on buffalo what's next we look at once on this island a presentation at Shea 710 theater through this sunday with a book and lyrics by lynn Ahrens and music by stephen flaherty it's a story with roots in the caribbean and it looks at race with an emphasis on identity and finding your place in the world. Coming up, we'll talk with two twin Buffalo teens on the stage in this performance. I want the
1: audience to know that the Black girl in the show, she is supposed to be forgotten, but in our
2: production, she is
3: remembered. This story tells us a lot about the past and how things still are today, about like being diverse.
2: And we'll hear from two other actors in the show. There might even be some singing involved. But first, let's bring in Naila Ansari, a famed choreographer, a professor of Africana Studies at SUNY Buffalo State. So much going on. She is the director of Once on this Island. Hi, Naila. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you serve as a choreographer on the play as well. Yeah. In addition to that, you are also the assistant professor at SUNY Buffalo State College in theater and Africana studies. And you recently served as the choreographer for Black Roots Summer, which was named Best Theater in 2021 by The New York Times. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> with all that, my first question is, how do
0: you do it? The thing about production is you learn very quickly how to organize Um, So pre-production is really big in any show that we do in theater. And so I kind of have to function my life in that way. So everything's kind of pre-planned before it happens. It's one of those things that um, I'm able to prepare myself when I know that I have four weeks. That's going to be crazy that I'm putting a show up. And then I have time to kind of relax and get things done beforehand. So a lot of it's really just pre-planning and a lot of organization and a lot of help from my family (laughs) with my son.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How is it? Being a black director uh, and a black woman director,
0: ooh, it's um, it's challenging because you're always facing something, right? Because a lot of times they don't know they don't think that you can do it because there's typically not a lot of black directors, and in theater specifically, it's been predominantly white man. So you're always kind of going and pushing against to kind of prove yourself. I don't ever feel like I need to prove myself in a way that I know that my work is really great. And I know that I take the time and i work really hard to make sure that the vision that I have is good, but it doesn't stop the outside influences and society from what they assume is going to be. So with something like this for the show, I didn't have, for me, I wasn't going to let anything tear down the vision that I had. And for me, it's navigating personalities and being able to say, no to certain things that isn't going to serve not only me but a cast that's all black and brown people
2: let's talk about once on this island tell us what is this play about
0: originally it was on broadway in the late 80s early 90s and the The idea that most people take away is that it's this love story about a pleasant black, dark-skinned woman who falls in love with a light-skinned man on the other side of the island at the Bizon. And it goes into this whole idea of classism and colorism. And, you know, I won't give the end of the play away, but it talks about this journey of this black peasant girl trying to get to the other side of what we think is affluent, what we think is going to be the the better part of the island because they have money, but they have a really dark history because what a lot of times gets displaced from the play is it's really about colonialism. And it's about how white supremacy has really divided us, not just in terms of class and black people, but in terms of colorism and the ways in which we love one another. And so I wanted to make sure that you know, the black woman gets lifted because so often we're seen as like the protectors of everybody and the nurturers. And in a lot of ways, that's who we are because we we hold our homes together. We hold our communities together, but we often don't get the love back. And so I wanted to make sure that in this show, we talk about white supremacy in a way and colonialism and how it affects us as people of color and creates these divisions in these two different worlds. But I wanted to make sure that at the end, the black woman's a loved everybody loves the black woman and she is capable of having love and she's capable of being loved and she's not just everybody's protector that we just kind of like shun away. Um, when she's not there in the physical. So I wanted to connect, especially because it's in the island, the jewel of, of the Antilles, which is really connected to Haiti. There's different gods in the show. Um, and it really talks about the the elements, but the ways in which spirituality lifts us as black people and our ancestors. And so that's often something that gets taken away because the script is written by two white people, which a lot of people don't know. So they had an experience in the Caribbean and they took what they learned from there and they created the show, which happens pretty often with our stories but I wanted to take what the script had but to to make sure that it fit our story as black folks so we had a cultural coach a dialect coach that was there our costumes of our of the diaspora the movements from the diaspora the folks that are in the show are from the diaspora and it's not just a show that has a script about colonialism and classism and all of those things it's really about the spirituality of us as black folks and brown folks and the the best thing that I can take away from the script is it really talks about all these different storms, and no matter what the storm is, we dance.
2: So the, the play was written so long ago, um, but these themes of classism, colorism, colonization, mm-hmm. colonial, colonialism, colonialism. <laughs> all the isms, right? All That's the isms. A, <laughs> they are still relevant today in today's society and what we have going on, mm-hmm. right? And I
0: wanted to take, it's a contemporary uh, version of the play. So it's it's today. And even though the script was written 30 something years ago, it's still prevalent to who we are and the battles that we're facing, particularly now with Black Lives Matter, because it's also we're also in this weird transition where a lot of people want to uplift black folks because it's like socially the right thing to do, but we still don't know how to do it. And so for me, this show was something that we're going to do it in real time, but we're also going to show that like we just can't be this idea of like, because this movement is here and we had George Floyd, we're still going to have our joy regardless of what you have. Whatever you th- whatever storm you throw in our way, we're going to make it work and we're going to do it together as a people. And so when we talk about the contemporariness of the play, it's really situated for us to be who we are authentically and unapologetically. And we had to go through a lot to make sure that we were as authentic and unapologetic in the space, because when you're dealing with, again, Audiences, you're dealing with these institutions. It was still very prominent, not only um, on stage, but off stage. Because a lot of times we have theater in Buffalo, but it's also very white. And so to be able to have an entire cast of black and brown folks that are singing, that are acting, that are dancing, that are doing the thing at the highest quality and of excellence was something that was important for me so that people can see that, like, we're not just going to give a show for black folks just because it meets our diversity quota. And so um, I was really thankful for the for the folks at Shays that allowed us to be able to be unapologetically ourselves.
2: Because this is this is Shays first local production, right?
0: Yeah, this is Shay's first production, so it was a lot For everybody, you know, we had a lot riding on this because you want to be able to continue to produce shows because oftentimes people don't realize that Shays is what what we kind of know as a roadhouse. So they bring in other shows, but they don't necessarily produce their own shows. So for them to have chosen this play, but for them to have allowed me to have the cast that I have and to envision the story that the ways in which I wanted to, still true to the script, but to adapt it so that it fits who we are.
2: How important is it for representation in the arts?
0: It's, it's so important. And, you know, I wanted to be able to use the show as a vessel and a way to get folks into the space for theater because it's so is so predominantly white I'm from Ujima theater. So like I've, I've been around for a long time and Lorna C. Hill was my mentor. So, you know, I was able to see and grow up in theater in very different ways to see how we've been treated as black and Brown uh, actors and choreographers and dancers. And then I've also been into the conservatory spaces where I've seen them treated really well because they had a lot of money and they were really big white institutions. And, it's interesting because Felicia Dove, who is our costume designer for the show, this is actually her first production in theater. So she's a fashion designer.
2: And she's she's local. She has her Black company. Monarchy.
0: She has Black Monarchy it's on the and the five points on the West Side. And when she came, she was like, Oh my goodness, this is like a whole different world. She had wardrobe, people, getting all the costumes together, um, before we all went into our first show. But to have that experience, she's like, Oh my god, I wish I would have known about this, And it's so often it's just we just don't have access to getting our black and brown communities into these theater spaces because they aren't. It's expensive. It's expensive to get training. It's expensive to go to these schools. It's, it's expensive to even have access to go to Broadway. I mean, you're paying a couple hundred dollars just to get a decent seat at a Broadway show now. And so what I wanted to do with this show was to be able to give access to a lot of different people that don't have access to typically. And that's not just in terms of the costume design. We have ASL, American Sign Language, in the show. And one of my actors is hard of hearing. She's she's deaf in one ear, but she signs. And so to have a deaf actor on stage and to be able to sign throughout the show, she's a deaf storyteller in the play. She also plays Andrea. She sings, she dances, she does all the things. So to be able to have access and show, hey, in these communities, we also have access to, to we also have accessibility and disabilities that we need to acknowledge too, that are on these islands you know, or in our spaces that don't necessarily get acknowledged either. So for me, it was it was access in a different way. Um, so not just for the audience to see representation of themselves, but for us to be represented behind the scenes. Our pr- creative team predominantly were all black. And a lot of us, we were, I think we were all women, minus Patrick, our dialect coach, that was behind the table. And that is so often not seen. One of our actors, he said the one day in rehearsal, he was like, you know, I just have to say this. He's like, I've never seen an entire group of women behind the table in a rehearsal
2: and it's 2022 right <laughs> and he's saying that like right as, for as much of uh, progress that has been made in so many different aspects mm-hmm. there still obviously ne- is a lot more work that needs to be done
0: right right and to be able to have that and have a team where you're just looking around and you're just like like our intimacy coach, Nimby Duncan, she's a black woman. Felicia Dove, Black Woman, our costume designer. We had a woman ensemble, Ma- Megan Um Callahan, who is our acting ensemble coach. Tayoga, my assistant uh director, black woman. Megan Raccapele, our associate choreographer, black woman. <laughs> um, our stage manager, Susan Stimson, and Kim Velton, they're they're women. So it's amazing. And it's just not it's just really not seen.
2: And uh- is the dynamic, I'm sure the dynamic obviously is different being led with all with the creatives and the behind the scenes mm-hmm. and the people that you don't necessarily see on stage are our black and brown women. Yes.
0: Our lighting designer is a black woman, Aja Jackson. She's from Boston. Incredible. And I can tell that when you have representation both on and off the stage, it means a lot. So when Asia would come in and we all had the same vision, I'm a very collaborative person. Like, I believe in people working in their assets. So it's like, I don't need to. If you're a light designer and that's what you do, here's the vision. Let's work through it together. But, like, I trust you. You know what I mean? If you see something that you know works best, that lights these black and brown people, then that's what we're going to do, you know? And to be able to have the actors see us all work collaboratively together as black folks and as women, I think, was really Important because what was happening in the rehearsal space and on stage with the actors was also happening with us behind the scenes in terms of production.
2: You mentioned the the another marginalized group um, with the ASL and how there's a there's a deaf mm-hmm. actor. How unheard of is it for a major production that is spearheaded by a black woman that has a black and brown cast, but also is inclusive to Another marginalized group, Mm -hmm. how unheard of is that? People have done is
0: we'll have an interpreter. Sometimes I've seen that. And so that was something before I even knew that I had a deaf actor that I knew I wanted in the show because I think it's important. And not only that, when you talk about signing, it's such a beautiful language and it's such a beautiful expression that I think it should be seen more and it should be part of our vocabulary in the terms in which we bring everyone into the space. But also recognizing that it's a language and it's so difficult in terms of acting our actor on stage acts multiple roles out signing and singing at the same time wow which that's... is difficult to do but this is oh, the sure. first show and we had someone in talkback back ask, this is the first show that i've ever seen um and i've done it <laughs> and i'm doing it i should say but this is the first show i've ever seen where there was actually a deaf actor in the show that was not written specifically but we created it to make sure that it was accessible to everyone
2: have you gotten any response from that particular community?
0: Yes, so um Melissa, she when I first asked her, she kind of was like, "Wait, really? Like what wait, you okay. she's like, I'll do it." Like she was almost kind of like in shock a little bit because it's not something that she's ever really asked to do outside of people to just want to interpret. And so that response was kind of like, oh wow, I guess this really isn't done because we kind of had to figure. It out and go through the script to make sure that we can work, make it work, but also make sure that we aren't appropriating anything either. And the responses have been incredible. And I've had a few um, audience members that were, you know, they are um, have relatives in the deaf community that they brought their families to the next day, so they because they felt like wow, like I can have somebody come in and they really understand the story that's deaf. Um, but then I just also had different people from the disabilities community that was just like, thank you. You know, I mean, they're not deaf, but you know, they're in wheelchairs, or you know, they're figuring out their own ways of trying to be inclusive in the space, and they're like, "Thank you," and they and they noticed it right away.
2: That that's amazing, because um, I feel like that that community is um, they they're they don't have enough representation Mm -hmm. i mean black and brown of course we don't um but even more marginalized is the disabled community Mm -hmm. so i think that that's amazing that you thought that you know you thought it through and and you're doing that and that this play is doing that is really like catering to multiple multiple Mm -hmm. groups yeah
0: and it's also showing that like colonialism isn't just about race and color either <laughs> you know it it divides us in so many um spaces and and who are we to say that people that have disabilities and and need accessibility in different ways that they can't be a part of the shows that we're creating because that's real life and we're talking about real characters it's real life and i wanted to make sure that the island we all had characters that we all could identify in the space there's queer black men in the on the island you know that They've, they've taken their characters on in particular kind of ways. There's black women that are like, I'm going to be a tomboy. Like, I want to show that I'm a tomboy on the island. And so everyone picked their own characters that they wanted to be so that we could show the inclusivity of who we are as a people that we often overlook when we go in front of an audience. Um, and it happens all the time in television and film, but it happens a lot in theater as well.
2: I want to um, just pivot for mm-hmm. just a bit. Well, you know, l- let me let me just... Uh... Backtrack. Um, why? Why is this play needed in Buffalo right now? Well, so besides everything
0: that that's just going on in our communities in general in the arts um, and having lack of diversity is really important because something that has been dear to my heart is what happened in five fourteen. And I've been in a a big initiative with the Community Health Center of Buffalo, uh, where my mom, Dr. Avani Asari, is the CEO of Building Art and Healing. And this show was part of that journey for me on how can we bring a healing to the community, particularly after we have a massacre like that, that's set by white supremacy. And how do we come together to feel like we can love these black and brown bodies? And even though it's a story for me it's like i always say I was like i might not be a surgeon but for that hour and a half I, I can make you forget all your problems right this show can take you to a totally different world and then fortunately or unfortunately whatever works afterward you can take that memory and have it forever and that's something that I know I can do as a healer. So I might not be able to physically do it as a physician or a surgeon or a therapist in certain ways, but I can create a story for you and I can show you something that's gonna impact you, that can give you a good memory for the rest of your life. Um, and so that's something that I'm working really diligently on. And for Buffalo, to for what we've just gone through, we had some of the TOPS workers that came to the show that we invited to come. Um, as a space and to use art as a, as a place for healing because sometimes it isn't a financial struggle. We're all in this together as a community to uplift and, and, and uphold our strength of a community to give a healing to one another. And so I think theater has always been a space for that. And now that you have the representation of us on stage is something that we're now doing for ourselves together through art.
2: Our community is, is still reeling from the racist massacre that was rooted in white supremacy. That happened on May 14th. How, What has been the response from those TOPS workers or survivors that have seen the play? What are some of the thoughts that they've had or expressed to you? Just
0: tears, a lot of tears. Um, and even though it's not necessarily directed to it, the themes are the same, you know, like when we we don't have time to divide, it's not it's not going to serve us. And, you know, we the end of the show, um, the songs why we tell the story. And we really are. We're telling the story because it's everyone's story that's black and brown in this world, um, particularly in America, particularly in the Caribbean. And so for us, the responses from them to say, you know, thank you for creating these spaces for healing, thank you for bringing this art to Buffalo, thank you for bringing this art to us, thank you for letting us be seen on stage. Um, that's, the, that's the biggest takeaway that I could ever
2: have. I want to pivot because you do so, so <laughs> much great things. The Smithsonian, you have something coming up in November. Um, first of all, the movement of joy. Yes and your live documentary, The Choreography of Joy, Mm -hmm. can you tell our audience what that is about?
0: Yes, so um, I'm the research and founder as a professor, a scholar, um, I research Black women joy and what does that look like through performance and how can we archive ourselves to be able to, to to have a legacy and to pass on to our, you know, the next generations, also to change the narrative of who Black women are. So often when we go back in time, we have these archives that have been really documented and, and catered to by white men. So it's written in a way that doesn't really speak to our joy as Black women. So it, it started because I was working with a woman named Dr. Ama, who was here in Buffalo during research um for a show that uh she's developing called at buffalo and it's about all the black performance groups um uh, during the pan am in 1901 and mary talbert was a huge character in the show and so my research was on mary talbert and it was difficult because i didn't know who she was so i'm going through all these like you know these different archives and collections of of you know, different newspapers and things like that. And it never spoke to who she was. And it could come off kind of like she's this very stern kind of person. But it's like, but she had to have had this joy to be able to get as many black women that she did together to bring everyone in to talk about black excellence and to bring black excellence to the forefront and to bring W.E.B. Du Bois' uh, Black Exhibit to the Pan Am in 1901. So that's kind of how it started. It's like, well, how can we archive black women so that I could actually understand their stories? And so from there, it's been almost going on a four-year journey where I've done interviews for Black women across the country and asking them what gives them joy, what, um, how do they discover joy, and when did joy discover them? And then they pick their favorite song and dance to it. And I just had two women pass away through, um, you know, the last two years of this project, and I was able to give their videos and their documentaries to their families, so the last thing that they have of their moms was them talking about their joy and dancing and moving to their joy. And that's really what the project is. And I was able to get a fellowship through the black interfaith um, project, which is through the interfaith America, which is ran by Eboo Patel, who does a lot of work with the white house. And the partnership is with the Smithsonian at the African American um, uh, museum of um, art and culture. And I will be presenting this work there um, in early November to show how we can do it, how we can archive and create these spaces for black women and to tell their stories and the ways in which we choreograph our joy can be something that's archived and passed on.
2: When I saw the documentary because I watched it <laughs> and it spans there's there's, you know, group of ladies mm-hmm. um and it spans different generations and each one each one of these ladies is is saying what makes what's what their joy is and they all have something different one lady talked about the birth of her her children Mm -hmm. one talked about her man right right it was so (laughs) it was so it was just so different what every black woman's concept of joy was what about you Naila Mm -hmm. what is your what is what what's your joy so my joy is my son um
0: Just the joy that he gives of just him growing up as a human being just to see him just develop and just he has his own personality. If people know my son Noah, they know that Noah is Noah. (laughs) Um, So to be able for me to be to raise a son that that feels comfortable to share his emotions gives me a joy. Um, But ultimately, Serving people and being able to have people be the best that they can be and of the highest quality that they can be and see and see the best in themselves is something that gives me joy. And also discovering it for myself, because in this project, it's like every day I'm rediscovering what it means to have joy in in that I'm trying to find it consistently. And so I'm not there yet to answer it like in finite. And I don't know that anyone can until, you know, I think that's a certain kind of a a person that's in that practice um, that can do it. And a lot of times it hasn't been the older women. It's really been the children that, you know, can really just speak it off their tongues. Most people have that pause, um, but I'm learning every day what gives me joy and things that I can pull to make it more consistent for myself. But what I say that makes me spark the most is being able to give, to to impact other people and to be of service to them, to be their greater selves. And that's what I'm learning. And, you know, with the cast, you know, they, you know, they'll say like I'm hard on them to make sure that they give the, the best that they can give. But I'm also, you know, I'm also a friend to them as well. And I'm also compassionate. And I'm someone that wants to be able to make sure that everyone can be their best. And we're all going to do it with excellence. And so I think that, you know, right now, that's my joy.
2: <laughs> we pose this question to all our guests that come on. What's next? What's next for you? Once on this island, it ends pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, October 2nd is the is the final curtain call, yes. as they call yeah, it. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The final curtain call for those I who... I might just cry. <laughs> oh, I will, but... <laughs> so much dedication that you and the cast and behind-the-scenes production have put on this play, in the, into this play, what what's next for you? A uh, two-part question. What's next for you? But also, what do you want people to take away from this play?
0: Mm-hmm. So what's next for me is... Uh... I'm at Buffalo State, so my students in development and working through our theater and dance program there as well to make sure that we have, again, access. We have a large population of our students that are black and brown at Buffalo State to keep uplifting them as a professor, which is my my everyday job, and to get more folks into the field. Um, and then what's physically next for me in terms of, like, creating, um, I'm going to Michigan Tech, actually, at the end of this week, and we'll be literally coming back the day for um, the closing day to bring this work to Michigan Tech University. Um, so those are like the immediate things of what's next for me. And I'm working on an article in the book right now for the movement of joy. And oh, what I want to take, a, what I want people to take away is that black, black and brown excellence is not a monolith and that it looks and it comes in a different ways, and that we need to be open to the ways in which that comes, and that we need to make sure that we are healing our communities, but, we're, but most importantly, that we're making sure that we show Black women love.
2: Naila Ansari, thank you, director <laughs> and choreographer and of Once on This Island, also a mother <laughs> and researcher <laughs> and just all things superwoman (laughs) thank you for joining us today and we look forward to having you back yes right now we have shyla douglas and samaya douglas who play t-moon and little charm girl hi ladies Hi. hi tell us about your characters
3: so i play the little girl and she's eight years old and this whole this whole story is being told to her
1: um, I play Young Tim- Moon. She is a six-year- old child. She's very energetic and outgoing.
2: What do you ladies hope that the audience gets from this play?
3: This story tells us a lot about the past and how things still are today, about how about like being diverse. And I want the audience to take away the fact that times are changing, but they're also, in a way, still saying the same.
1: Um, I want the audience to know that the black girl in the show, she she is supposed to be forgotten, but in our production, she is remembered and she is
3: thriving even in her afterlife.
2: Do you ladies see yourselves in your characters that you play?
3: Yes, I see myself. I had to go back and remember my eight-year-old years and how I had a lot of energy and talked to everybody and played around with everybody and everything, and it was fun.
1: I definitely see my younger self in little Timu because she's very energetic and she's really like same as a little girl. She's very outgoing. She's very talkative. She's very mischievous. And it's fun playing a six-year-old
2: every night. How is it not having a regular a regular job, like maybe some of your your friends may have, you know, being teens being fifteen. I know that my first job as a as a teenager was McDonald's. I think that's like the the standard, like a teen working at McDonald's or like a grocery store. but your girls, your first job is is showcasing your talent for an audience, for people. how How does that feel to be so young? It feels good because we get to do what we love
3: while still getting a paycheck. And just, I know a lot of people complain about their jobs. They don't like them. They tire the people. But we love seeing our cast every day. And we can't wait at the end of the week on Thursday to go into the theater and actually put on the show.
1: Same thing, yeah. Like, I know one of my friends, she's like, she just got a job and she already hates it. And she's like, oh, I have to go to work today. Sorry, I can't hang out. I'm like, it's okay. But then when she asked me, like, I have to go to work, she said, you're not mad about it. I'm like, no, I actually love my job, so.
2: How do you balance school and work?
1: Um, So I manage to get up at, like, 6 o'clock every morning for school. We have to be there by 8, I believe. And if I have homework, I go to the library. If it's a lot, I go to the library during my lunch, and I do as much as I can. And then when I get home, I try to finish it and, like, take a nap or vocal rest or... um, just trying to eat something before I leave to rehearsal or the, to the theater to get ready for the show.
3: Um, I usually try to plan my my day out beforehand, like the day before. So I know get up at this time, homework at this time, nap at this time, go to theater by this time. So it's all planned out so I don't have to worry about, I thought I wanted to do this or I'm kind of a control freak. So I like planning out my stuff beforehand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what is your dream role?
3: My dream role right now is Josephine Ain't Super Out, Temptation Story.
1: I actually have two. It's, well, kind of three. But whenever somebody makes a Princess and a Frog musical, I would love to play Princess Tiana. And my current ones would have to be, like when I'm older and like 18 or more experienced as an actor, it would have to be Glenda and Wicked. But for right now, if I have the chance to be little Tina Turner, it would be amazing.
2: Where do you ladies see yourselves? Do you want to continue doing theater? Do you want to be Hollywood do movies do you want to do both
3: I see myself starting off in Broadway and eventually working my way up to being in movies in Hollywood and TV shows
1: I definitely see myself sticking to Broadway because in Hollywood if you mess up on a take they can say okay act two well take two But if you mess up on Broadway, you have to keep going. And that pressure keeps me motivated.
2: Shyla Douglas and Samaya Douglas, thank you so much, ladies, for joining us. Thank
4: you. Hello, I'm host Bridget Paul Valenza. This is a bit of a special edition of Buffalo, What's Next? Today, we are speaking with the cast of Once on This Island, which is currently playing at Shays. It's a musical about love, prejudice loss and sacrifice with us today is jana reed who plays the adult timoon they are native of buffalo graduated magna cum laude from suny buffalo state with an arts degree and marcus j page who plays agwe and is part of the ensemble cast um, this is his Shay's 710 debut. Thank you both for being here.
5: First off, how
6: how are you doing? We're doing fantastic. Buffalo's been amazing. The show experience has been amazing. So this has been a lot of fun.
5: I'm feeling good. You know, it's a rainy day today, but we dance in the rain on the island. Tell me
4: about the play.
5: <laughs> it's basically The Black Little Mermaid. Um, It's based on a book by Rosa Guy called My Love, My Love, or The Peasant Girl. And in the musical, Timun is saved by Agwe, the god of waters, in a terrible storm. And these two villagers, or old peasants, if you will, find her in a tree. And they take her in and orphan her and then she's off in this search for herself into this world.
6: And the overarching idea is that on this island, it's an, an island of two different worlds, so a mm-hmm. tale of two cities, if you will. Um, it's a story that ha- that is rooted in colonialism, yeah. and it's an island separated by darker-skinned people and lighter-skinned people, and the differences in, in the lifestyles of those, of those people. And Timun comes from a world where she is a darker skinned person. She belongs to a peasant family and she finds uh, Daniel crashed in his car and she goes on this journey of trying to heal him and in a way kind of bridge these two worlds. And so Mm -hmm. it's a story of sacrifice, a story of love and a story of trying to break down barriers that have been set up. So it's really a, a story about, I think, um, classism, yeah, classism and, and colonialism and breaking down those barriers.
4: This musical is set in a bit of post-slavery Caribbean island that doesn't necessarily have a name. It's an un- unnamed <laughs> fictional. island. <laughs> the Jewel island. of the Antilles. Yes. <laughs> um... Yet it really does deal with a lot of things that we are dealing with modern day. Um, There's a divide with class. There Mm -hmm. is a divide um, along socioeconomic lines. Um, All of those exist in in actual real life, real buffalo, real world today. Um, Why do you think we haven't learned anything from the fictional world of this past to our modern day world,
6: um well, I think a lot of it comes from failing to recognize and speak on it and really bring it to an audience in a modern way and I think that Naila, our director Naila Ansari she her goal with this show because it's it's been done a lot it's it came out in nineteen ninety they did a revival in twenty eighteen on Broadway, and it's been done throughout many regional theaters. But her idea, yeah, not like this, like her idea was we need to explore the ideas of colonialism because that reverberates today. We need to explore those ideas of of economic disarray and inequalities, but also what we really need to do is elevate and celebrate the black woman. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's something you see a lot with this show, and I think that's what makes the show unique and a real reason and purpose for theater. And I think theater, arts overall, but theater really can be a call to action. And But it has to be a call to action if, if there's an actual purpose and you're not just doing a show just to do it, not remounting a show with the same ideas that have come before. We need to move forward. And this show can be done over and over again and be told beautifully with great voices, a great direction, but there has to be an action like we were talking about earlier. There has to be action and you have to do something and give a purpose. And so we're talking about celebrating these people. This isn't a story that's based, are rooted in trauma. This is a story that is celebrating these people, this Caribbean culture, the diaspora, and it's celebrating a black woman, which we don't see a lot in many mediums, but especially in theater. And so I think that's really what it comes down to is taking action, presenting new views and new ideas that are that shouldn't be revolutionary, but kind of are in our time. So
5: Celebrating these people, but celebrating us. Like, this is for us, by us. This is the first time we've, in a long time, or the first time, I don't know how many shows you've been in that have only consisted of black and brown people directing the show, musicians, and putting on the show on stage for actors, Like, and to be able to be the first show at Shays um, that Shays solely produced. And for us to, I know y'all didn't see that. The hand, the hand was <laughs> rising up. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it is revolutionary, and it and it's it's important for us to take those moments of joy in all of these things that we do.
4: You're listening to Buffalo. What's next? We're here with two of the cast members from Once on This Island. Um, it is a musical playing at Shays through October 2nd. Let's talk a moment about colorism Mm. because it plays a huge role in the show. Um, what, what can we learn from, again, this, this fictional world into, into our own world? Um, Where colorism is a thing, I mean, black and brown people or black and brown people as a as a group, um, we are treated one way, right, right, uh, from the outside. But then, even you know, and it's a difficult conversation. It's a hard conversation that people don't that makes people uncomfortable. But even within our own systems, we treat one another differently based on the color of our skin. Right. What what can we take away from the show? What can we learn
6: from the show?
5: Well, color has no bounds, I mean.
6: I think, I think the biggest thing with the show that we try to get across is that this is a community. Yeah. This is a community of one people. Um, there, we deal with inequalities, um, economic inequalities, racism, things like that. We deal with that all in this show, but what's interesting about it is that there are no white people in this show. So it's not a black versus white situation. This is very much an insular thing. And we're talking about the big thing that we want to get across is that this is one community. And so we can experience those inequalities and that hatred within our community. But we really need to understand that we are one and there is no progress if we hold down one, one person. You know, we all have to be together. If one person is not free, we are all are not free. And so I think that's the biggest thing we take away from this is. We sing the song together. We mm-hmm. we dance together. We are celebrating together. We are one community. And we hold so much power when we realize that we're one community and not separated by things like color and the shades of, of our skin.
5: So. And I believe that Naila has crafted um, the story of the bosomes so beautifully that, that you sort of see that um, they're wearing masks. You see these white masks and then they all take them off. It's like, What does that
6: and they reveal themselves because we're telling this story of of racism and and colonialism with Napoleon and they're wearing white masks, but then they take them off and they reveal themselves to be people of color. Right. And we're telling the story about about how they've conquered and and separated these people. And so when you realize that, that sometimes we can be our own oppressor, but we really if we come together as one, we are mighty. So I think that's the biggest thing we try to get across is that it's all about community.
5: Oh, for sure.
4: Um, As you mentioned earlier, Once on the Sound is is a loose retelling of the Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if... You've spent any time on social media. In... I know
5: you are going to ring it up. <laughs> I was just talking to um, performing arts about this. Yes,
4: yeah. um, any time at all on social media in the last couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. even before then, uh, there has been much to be said. I won't even say it's discussion because I don't know that there's been yeah. discussion. Not a discussion. Um, much has been said about the casting of the Little Mermaid in Disney's live action being a young woman of color. Beautiful, I bet. It's not the first time, obviously, that this backlash has popped up. Uh, It popped up, you know, most recently also in the Amazon's Lord of the Rings a yes. uh, series where some of the the characters are people of color um two questions then for you so I mean first w- we're talking a about a mermaid <laughs> and b we're talking about people who live in middle earth not that there's anything wrong with middle earth or under the sea
5: <laughs> however I used to be under
4: the water these are fictional characters (laughs) i mean we can imagine a mermaid but yet we can't imagine that she's black Mm -hmm. we can imagine an elf but yet cannot fathom that they may be a person of color what do you what do you say to that
5: it makes people feel like um Well, I can't speak for all the people, but, you know. It makes me feel like we don't have a a space to dream or to to be or to to see ourselves in any sort of other world or other space Mm -hmm. beyond what we see in reality. And it's crazy to think that there's such an uproar over (laughs) a fictional character. But it's also really poignant and pivotal that they have that we see ourselves in, in these spaces of in these imaginary spaces because that's where we connect with spirit and that's also where our creativity blossoms right. from. And that's also how we connect with each other. is through these imaginative as if spaces. And that's that's how we create the world that we live in today.
6: Right. Like are children not allowed to dream? Are are we not allowed to imagine? You know, these different worlds. Like, we can, it's okay for us to see ourselves in these universes and and in these fairy tales. It's okay because, you know, we need that. We need to, like she said, we need to be able to see ourselves beyond the reality that's here. And other people have been afforded that opportunity for the past few centuries
5: <laughs> <laughs> and so you know
6: if we happen to get one or two
5: like what <laughs> why why is this an argument why right. is this a, a quote-unquote debate why is this up for a discussion that it can be a wrong thing what is what that's is wrong why it's about so it so important Nothing. for
6: us to see ourselves and that's why it's so important for us to do things like this show so mm-hmm. that when we're on that stage little girls little boys can oh, see themselves oh you know, like, I, I won't spoil how this show ends, but the idea of this story, the last song we sing is why we tell the story. Mm-hmm. We tell this story so that a little girl out in the audience can theoretically come on stage and she can tell that story so that another little girl can see that and come on stage and tell that story and a little boy can come on. And, you know, so these things can reverberate. That's why it's important for us to see ourselves.
4: How difficult is it for an actor of color to break into theater? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and I guess I'm I'm... Speaking specifically really about stage arts, Mm -hmm. not necessarily movies, because while we would strive for 100 percent representation, um, there is a sense in in Hollywood for for movies that, you know, you might have actors of color that that's not a weird, odd thing. But people don't necessarily see the stage version of Macbeth having.
5: Right. Yeah, I would um, like to say there's not a lot of parts written for us. I mean, we were yeah. just having a conversation yesterday yeah. with another cast member. But.
6: That's a, I think that's quite a bit of a question. There's a lot that goes into that. But um, I think what it really comes down to is it's a systemic issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's a gatekeeping issue. I think there's a, a lot of people, one, who are hiring and casting for these things, that only see black actors being in roles that are specifically made for black people. Um, you know how many times have you seen Rent and the two black people in the show are Collins and and mm-hmm. and um, Benny, I believe his name is. Um, but yeah, so how many times do you see Rent and it's the two black actors are those two gentlemen? And why have we not seen a, a black Mark or a black Roger or a black Mimi? Well, we've seen black Mimi, excuse me. But um, but yeah, so how? So I think a lot of times we see these people who people who are casting that just think black role black person. Um, but also, I think there's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to opportunity and and a lot of times people come out of a conservatory system, they come out of big training schools, and there's a lot of inequality in the education system where a black student may not be able to go to these big theater schools and get that BFA or get that, that, um, that master's degree in theater that opens a gate for them to go out into the world and really get these audition opportunities. So I think we have to talk about how gatekeeping is preventing an opportunity is preventing people from even getting in the space being even being in the room like you're not even allowed to get into that room unless you've gone through a, a system that really has been created to help develop non people of color
5: and those systems perpetuate the idea that there can't be multiple black experiences like it makes it seem like this is the black experience and this is only one thing but the way I exist, it may not be the same as the way Marcus exists or the, the same as you exist. Right. We, we It devalues our experience as a whole.
6: Right. And we walk into a room and you see our color before you see us as the actor, which is not necessarily great. Because you, if I were to go in for you know Anything Goes, you're not going to look at me and say, oh, he's going to be a great actor, he, a great dancer or whatever. You're going to say, oh, he's black. And usually Billy in Anything Goes is not black. So... Mm-hmm am i going to cast this guy probably not you know what i mean and so it's just we have a lot of barriers that we have to get through from the onset you know mm-hmm. even before we get in the room so yeah it's 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 difficult
4: <laughs> <laughs> do you think the sense of not seeing people of color in terms of having um you know a space in middle earth or under the sea uh really is sort of the start of that gatekeeping if if we don't or cannot see ourselves in ourselves in that space being that character you know being an elf or a mermaid um then certainly we wouldn't
6: push for something like that yeah i mean you see a lot of times you i i see a lot of auditions come through and i may or may not submit for just knowing that you know i uh. i may not fit what they're looking for, just because I'm black, you know i'm mm-hmm. I'm you know, I might be able to move or dance or, or I might be a tenor, and they're looking for a tenor. but if I see that it's a certain role, you know, sometimes you might have trepidation even submitting yourself for that because you haven't seen that before. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that I think that again, that's why it's important for us to see ourselves on stage, see ourselves on screen. Because we need to know that it is possible for you to be a mermaid. It's possible (laughs) to be an elf. You can be whatever you want to be. (laughs) Whatever you want to be. You 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 can like you can as an actor, you can do something other than you know ragtime. You know it's possible. I know it's a beautiful show. Love ragtime, but like you know, it, it is possible to do something other than that.
4: Well, certainly because you have the title of actor.
6: Indeed.
5: That part. We're going to act as if.
4: <laughs> um, what would your younger self say to you now? Your younger self has gone and seen this show, and oh they God. are ecstatic. And what would your younger self say to you? Oh, wow. That's it. <laughs>
5: I know. Okay. I feel I'm like gonna I'm going to make you cry. cry. Yeah. I think yeah, I I'm going to cry. We're talking to
6: actors, we're
4: emotional. I'm <laughs> like, Stop wait it. a second.
5: Like, the <laughs> amount of ta- different parts that I cry on stage would be baffling me. <laughs>
6: um,
5: you go, you go. I need to think. <laughs>
6: <laughs> My younger self speaking to me, I'm, it's weird. I'm seeing him. Um, ooh, ooh, come on, look at him. I, uh, I think he would say, Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that you never stopped. I'm proud that you never stopped because, you know, I grew up in Compton, California. Mm. I have no idea. I had no idea what I was doing when I decided to go into stage and and music and all that. And there are many a time when I could have just been like, oh, I'm just gonna do something else. Uh, you know, after college, I actually went into real estate for a while, and I was doing that, and and that was fine, but it wasn't fulfilling me. And, mm. and yeah. I think my younger self would have would look at me now and say good on you for not stopping because you're here so mm-hmm.
4: your younger self has a seat at this table come absolutely. on yeah at yeah. whatever
5: table you want to sit at yeah
4: right mm-hmm. i'm absolutely not avoiding you <laughs> and didn't forget about we you didn't forget about no me. i did forget not
5: about me same question um, yeah <laughs> i was just think- this is so funny because uh, my mom came to see the show this past Sunday, and she's she lives in Ohio, so she's driving her and my two um, siblings back to Ohio this morning, and she dropped me off, and she's just like, Shauna... <sighs> She's about to have a cry moment, you know. Mm. She's like, "Jana, you are doing the thing and I know you're you're saying what would my child self say, but I'm also thinking about the those moments when we say like you are your ancestors' dreams like that's literally what my mom was saying but it, it's like I am my parents' dreams and I think and I believe in my experience, um, growing up, I am honored and privileged to say that i was never given the brown girl narrative that the you are not enough
2: mm-hmm. you
5: know i was always filled with with love and compassion and of uh, you can do this and i think i would say to my younger self that you're doing the things jana you're doing all of the things that you want to do and you will continue to do the things that you desire and you dream of and that you can keep dreaming and God will continue to supersede it. So um, to all the little girls out there, you just keep dreaming and do the thing.
4: That was actually my next question, what you would tell uh, young actors and actresses uh, who may be struggling Mm -hmm. to find their way in performing arts, to find a path for themselves, in something that they're good at something that fulfills them um that that really makes them complete What, what do you tell them
5: one of the things is you need to find your people in that respect i mean find the people doing the things that you see yourself doing or the things that you're interested in doing inquire talk to them about it um Also, even if you can't find the person to actually talk about, because, you know, we live in the AI world. Mm. Find your people online. Look up the interviews. Look up what they're doing, what their path was. And I'm not saying look up to to do exactly what their path was, but to just be inspired and to see the work that they put in to to where they are right now. Also, the next thing I would say is to trust yourself. Trust your journey and, and know what you want so that you can move forward with what you want. Because if you, don't, if you don't know what you want, you will be all over the place.
6: I also think that you have to really be tenacious in believing in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's something that I learned, especially during the pandemic, when everything was shut down and I, and I lost so many jobs and I thought, this is, not, this is not gonna happen. I thought everything was lined up for me and it all fell through. But I think the biggest lesson that I learned was you have to be your own biggest fan, you have to be tenacious, and you have to just really be vulnerable and put yourself out there and try to walk into the rooms that you feel like you don't belong in. And be kind to yourself too, that's another thing.
4: We speak a lot on this show about how arts can be healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Buffalo has been through a great deal of tragedy in the last few months. Um, What role does theater play in recovery from tragedy?
6: I think theater allows us the opportunity to reflect. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times seeing something on stage allows you that opportunity. Um, You know, if someone were to, if you try to give yourself advice on a situation, it may not resonate with you, obviously, but then if someone else were to tell you that same advice, you think, oh, maybe you're right. And I think it's a similar idea with theater. Um, If you can see something on stage that you relate to and there's a message there, it might permeate you in a different way. Um, I think especially with this show, handling grief and handling tragedy i think the way we show that in our in our show i think is done in a way that is quite beautiful and shows that this moment doesn't have to always be sad this moment doesn't have to be traumatic and ongoing it can be a moment of of rebirth and of healing and that's something that Personally, I took into mm-hmm. to myself with, with, our, uh, with our show because I, I lost my mother last year unexpectedly. And so, Sorry. thank you. And, and so watching this show and watching one of the scenes in particular that I won't go into, you have to see it, but, but watching one of these <laughs> scenes and how we handle it, yeah. for me, there was a moment during the rehearsal process where I had to step out oh, yeah. and just have a moment with myself. But it really was therapeutic for me because I, I realized that I didn't have to wallow in that, and that there is some sort of celebration that can happen in this time of grief and trauma, and so I think when you see it, it's it's a bit easier to process it and take it in for yourself. So,
5: I, I believe that the the most powerful thing that the theater does and that we do with the show is is that it opens up these discussions and and these conversations through the spirit first, right? Mm. Because it's Mm. music, it's song, it's story. And then it unlocks something that sometimes you don't know why, right? Mm. A a Mm. lot of times we we leave the show and the people are bawling. They are bawling. I I gave um, a woman a hug the other night and it was just tears. And then, oh, and then another, another. (laughs) And, And it's just that moment of release that is that I'm so grateful to to help provide and to and to give and to have with the the audience that we I know for a fact we are doing something powerful with this show and with the people that enter into the space who see the story who hear the story who feel the story mm-hmm. because art and spirit are will always be intertwined, and and I believe that's how we open up the
2: conversation. That's Jana Reed and Marcus Page from Shea 710 Theatre production of Once on this Island. The musical runs through Sunday. We close the show with all the actors singing a bit for us.
3: So I hope that you will tell this tale
6: tomorrow It will help your hearts remember and relive
5: It will help help you fill the the
6: anger and the sorrow
5: And forgive
2: For out of what we we live And we believe Our lives become the story For being with us, I'm Angelie Preston, and this is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown.